You're listening to episode 25 of the Divine Nobodies podcast. with Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. If you enjoy this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobodies Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and understanding. Welcome to our tribe. And now your hosts, Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. It's the tone of the voice, I think. She just gets yeah. it every single time. I know, that's she, some fancy shit we yeah, got going. She's in a mood. Yeah, she's in a mood. You know what I mean? She's always always optimistic. She's a vibe. The energy is always really high. Yeah. And no matter how many times we play, she gets it right every time. I know. You yeah. know what I mean? It's I a perfect she... way, I think, to start any podcast, to just have somebody that can bring in the energy for you. Right. Kind of keep it grounded. <laughs> and so we don't have to re-record it like five or six times. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> then, it, then it, you leave a little risk to it becoming a sort of cattywampus situation. <laughs> right. I love that word, cattywampus. Yeah. So you have to have, a, a, you know, a fairly large arsenal of different other sort of abstract words to say in situations where... It's really truly deserved. You know what I mean? You know, cattywampus is such a Southern word too. I like it. Yeah. I like it when you use all these Southern terms. It's cute. Yeah. I've hung out with some fairly Southern people in my time, including my grandmother. And that's kind of where I I learned it. She also did the whole Okie from a Skokie thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Until I actually met somebody. Um, This was not even on purpose. I actually um, was in a home with a Southern woman that actually uh, came from that part. Mm -hmm. And it was just always something that I said like, oh, don't be an Okie from a Skokie. Because mm-hmm. my grandmother used to say that. She used to be like, oh, clean up your room. It was basically like her way of saying like, your shit's all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be an Okie from a Skokie, <laughs> right? And I said that to uh, a Southern woman that was uh, in her late maybe 60s mm-hmm. and she took offense to it. Oh. Yeah, because she was from Muskogee. Oh. Yeah. I didn't know there was such a place. I thought that was just a saying. And that was exactly the position that I was in. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of got away with it though. There was other words, right? There's, there's a uh, Kenny Wampus, Okie from Muskogee. What was that other one? Yeah. Um, I like kerfuffle. <laughs> kerfuffle? Kerfuffle's a good one. Yeah. So, so if you're like in an argument or, you know, whatever, it's like, oh, we got in a little kerfuffle last night. I feel like a kerfuffle is something that like you'd catch a dog doing, <laughs> like kerfuffling <laughs> on the floor when he shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean. We're yeah, have, I don't see why not. Yeah, when you're having to like relay information to your friends, you'd be like on the phone. You're just like, oh, hold on a second, my my dog just kerfuffled all over the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Is it like that? <laughs> Give me an example of what it would mean to kerfuffle something. Um, it, well, to. I don't think that's the meaning. The meaning is more like um, if you get flustered or you have an argument or something like that, it's like, oh, oh. I'm all kerfuffled. Yeah. You know, yeah. or we got in a little kerfuffle. Yeah. So it's not like a brain fart situation where your no. mind just stops working and you just sort of draw a blank. No. It's not like that. No, I guess it might be. Shit, I don't know. I'm going to have to like, look up the definition. Because it's one if of there's those one. Like universally used words like fuck. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like it can mean so many different things to so many different people. It just depends on where you're at in the world. Yeah. And punctuation. And punctuation. Right? 
Yeah, like, I actually had this conversation with somebody a long time ago about like, you know, the intrinsic meaning behind the word fuck mm-hmm. and whether or not, well, what, what is it that considers, it makes it a derogatory thing? It right. isn't so much the actual word because at the end of the day, they're just, it's just like the enunciation of your vocal cords. I mean, your, your air passing through your vocal cords and you just happen to make a, a few clicks and snaps and all of a sudden you have this word, mm-hmm. but I think it just comes down to intention. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. You know just I mean? like the, like the phrase, um, I'll kill you. Like, it depends on how you say it. Like, oh, I could kill you. Like, oh yeah. man, you're pissing me off or I'm going to fucking kill you. Yeah, like, that's true. <laughs> I'm really going to kill you. You know, you, you yeah. know, I, I think don't, it's all I about inflection. Yeah. I don't have that one in my arsenal though. No, no. Yeah. No, you know. I don't use that one. But cunt is another like. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to go through all the curse words today. I mean, that's you know it. What, though? It's been one of those days. I think that's why. It, yeah, it has been. So, but that's one of those words that's widely used in Europe. And here it's very much frowned upon. It's oh, a see but, you next Tuesday. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I even find myself having a hard time with that. Yeah. Maybe it's because you don't hear it very often. Yeah. But when you do hear it, you're like, whoa. But if an English person says it, it totally doesn't bother me. Yeah. Well, you know, they also eat bangers and mash over there, I think too. Or that's at least that's true. Irish. And they, and they have their knickers. Yeah, that's true. They're on like a completely yeah. different sort of Gordon Ramsay level when it comes to their profanity. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, which brings us to kind of, uh, I think what we wanted to touch on today. And <laughs> I think just cause the, the energy is so intense. Um, we wanted to just bring it back to, uh, just, a subject that I've kind of been on my mind lately. And I think this just comes from just regular experience in life with that is, which is the, the concept of failure, failure, Jen. Oh man, you've been human, there. Yeah, if you're a human being, you've experienced your fair share of failure. Uh, but I think uh, the, the, the name of the podcast today, I had this sort of quote of just being failure is feedback. You mm-hmm. know, and whether or not you're somebody that is in a profession, you don't necessarily even have to be a profession or a business owner. If you are alive, you have failed before. Mm-hmm. You've experienced that? Oh, <laughs> experienced it every day. Yeah, every yes. single day, right? Every day. And, and that's the sort of platform that I think that the universe, especially in this incarnation on earth, it's, it's specifically designed so that those polarities exist intertwined and so that we experience our fair share of wins and successes or, you know, moments of happiness followed by that pendulum swinging the other direction, which is us just failing, Mm -hmm. you know? And I just wanted to actually share a story. I was um, thinking about this on the way here and I always have a little chuckle with myself every time I tell myself this story because it was, um, it happened very, when I was much younger, you know, I think I might've been maybe 25, 26 years old. And I went on a date with this really beautiful woman. Yeah. You know, so this was after the goth days. Yeah. This is after this the goth post days. eyeliner. It was post eyeliner. Although okay. this, although this woman was actually more, she had like a tinge of previously spooky to her. Oh, I like it. So it was almost like there was an acceptance of like, okay, okay, maybe that's, maybe that's why it ended up being a date because it's like, she understood where I was at post gothic depression. Got it. Okay. You yeah. know, so makes sense. Long story short, we were in West Hollywood and um, uh, we were just hanging out, had dinner, right? And things were going really, really well. And we ended up going to this place in West Hollywood. Um, I think it's actually called the, I, I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong, if you know what this is. I think it was called Bardo, but it was like this, this bar slash nightclub thing. I mm-hmm. typically don't do the bar slash nightclub thing, but she very, she very much seemed like the type that 
would enjoy something like that. Mm -hmm. So I took one for the team. I was like, hey, I like to have fun. You know what I mean? Which I do. I like to dance. That's one thing that I do like to do is I like to dance. Yeah. You know that I like yeah. to dance. Yeah. We've been in lots of dancing situations. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So I get down like James Brown. Get down, get down. Yeah, okay. exactly. That what comes to my mind when I think of that is like Earth, Wind, and Fire September. Yeah. There's the ultimate song to do get down to. you remember? Yeah. I actually saw them. Did you? Yeah, I saw them. Um, it was actually, I think, one of their farewell tours and not even maybe a year ago at the Hollywood Bowl. Wow. And it was a really amazing show, but you can tell that the demographic of people that attended this show were much older. Yeah. Because it's not like an EDM show where you walk in and you're just being like blasted with all of these audible frequencies of sound. Yeah. It's almost like the the sound and and the volume was like at a 50%. Mm -hmm. You know, when you ask like, you know, Google Home to lower the volume down to 40%. Yeah. And you can continue talking to your so friends. So you can still have a conversation. Exactly. Yeah. That was Earth, Wind, and Fire. Okay. So Got it, it was amazing because it was nostalgic and mm -hmm. it was really fun. Um, but it didn't like blow my ears out. Yeah. And, which is um, kind of nice too. Which is kind of nice. Yeah. And, it, and it was kind of nice. But anyway, so we went to this, uh, this club and everything was going really well. We had a nice dinner. Okay. You know? All right. And, and she was flirting with me. And we, there was just this vibe, you know, okay. and every, anybody that's been on a date, you know, the chemistry is there. You just kind of roll with it, mm -hmm. you know? So we ended up going to this, uh, this little nightclub across the street and, um, everything was going really well. We were dancing and you're, anybody that's, that's been in this type of situation, you start, especially me, because I'm a Libra, you start romanticizing your entire life with this person. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. For sure. And, um. At some point she came up to me and she was like, Hey, like I live right across the street. Cause she lived in West Hollywood oh, okay. and she didn't actually take a ride there. She took an Uber there. So she was like, Hey, what, how do you feel about like going back to my place and like hanging out? Because by that time the clubs were going to be closing pretty soon. I think it was like maybe two, 2 AM, almost mm -hmm. maybe at one thirty, two AM. And I was like, sure, absolutely. Why not? <laughs> Why not? You know? So we're leaving the place. We get out of the club, we're walking over to my car. And of course that, that synergy and that chemistry was still there. And there was high hopes of that night going in like a really harmonious way. You know, we could have stayed up all night talking, looking at the stars, um, connecting in that way. Making out. Making out. Yeah. I guess I think in, during those times it was called macking. <laughs> I, I think, or maybe that's like a 15, 16 year old thing. Right? I think that's like to a mac. 15, yeah. To Mac and Scam. Yeah. Yeah. Which is weird. It's weird. Those, <laughs> those fucking words that kids used to use back in the day. I mean, oh my God. it was a thing. Yeah. And whenever I have an opportunity to bring that up in front of somebody that was a part of that life, it brings me a little bit of joy because it reminds me of my naivety and my innocence back then because mm -hmm. I was so sure about myself. Right. Yeah. Uh -huh. Like, yeah. So we rock in my car. And uh, so the whole objective was, okay, we're going to get in my car. We're going to drive because she didn't drive her car. So right as we walk up to the car, I'm looking around with my pockets and my keys are missing. No. Yeah. My keys are missing. So All right that away, dancing. I'm like, and I'm like, fuck, what do I do? I don't want to be in the situation right now. So I had to really, really think critically about what my next move was going to be. I just had to tell her, hey, I don't have my keys. And the look of dis disappointment, like all of a sudden your masculinity is let into question. Yeah. And your ability to be responsible is put into question. 
And now, you know, that, that synergy and that chemistry that you were riding on that wave mm-hmm. went from like a 100 to a 0.5. Mm-hmm. Okay. In like an instant. Yeah. You know, it's funny how women do that, right? Yeah. And you know, they, they're like waves, like they, they move with their emotions, mm-hmm. you know, like, like they, they, they move in and they intuitively just go with what feels right. Right. And she's absolutely right. It was a bonehead move because no matter what it is that we did, I should have had my keys with me. Right. Right. So they fell out of my pocket and I'm still to this day, not entirely sure how it happened, but uh, I was like, Hey, I I don't have my keys. And um, I was like, well, should I'm going to go back and look for them? And you know, you go home and you know, I can meet up with you later. And that was like taking a shot in the dark because I already knew intuitively that it was pretty much over at that point. Yeah. And there's no Uber. So you can be like, Oh, I'll get my car tomorrow. Let's just Uber back to your place. This is the thing. This is the thing is that I was in a parking complex and that was the thought that came over my mind, which is, well, I can just leave my car here and we'll uh, take a taxi. We'll take a taxi. But then I had to go through this whole motion of like, okay, she's like, no, no, your car will get towed because it it will be here past a certain, past a certain point. Yeah. And then if I would have said yes to that, then she would have been like, this guy's really fucking irresponsible. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, this was a no-win situation. It was a no-win situation. It was a double negative. Yeah. <laughs> and it was absolutely a situation where I failed. Well, okay. Now let's look at the flip side of this. What if, hypothetically speaking, you did go home with this girl? Yeah. And then you hooked up with her and you got a herpes. Well, See, I, maybe well, this is the universe's no. way of preventing you from moving forward with this person. I mean, sure, but I, I mean, it's I a would possibility, like think, right? Well, this is the thing, Jen, because I, I'd like to think that I intuitively, I mean, I was much younger. I still have, <laughs> I still had my bearings in spirituality to some extent. Yeah. Although it wasn't as pronounced, mm-hmm. I was still going through all the motions of making mistakes as a young adult mm-hmm. and I was very much naive. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a Libra. I'm a, I'm a lover by nature that, that is a part of me that has always intrinsically been with me. But when it came to the motions of doing what a female expected of a man in a dating type of situation, I didn't have much experience in. Mm -hmm. And so I had to go through this process of making tons of mistakes before I got to that point. But I imagine every guy that young goes through that. Oh yeah. But what I'm trying to say in response to what you're saying is that like, I, I, I would like to think that intuitively I would, would know who I'm speaking to before I got to that point, <laughs> which is one, I would never find myself, you know, in a situation with somebody that I imagined to have. That was know, a total joke. A, a <laughs> yeah, that was a total joke. I was, but that is a flip I side situation. That, I, I said that mostly to see your response. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, I'm sure she's a nice girl. If you're listening, I know you're a nice girl. I, that was a hundred percent a joke. Oh yeah. No, no. She came back into my life much later. Oh, she did. You know what I mean? And what did she say? Did you ask and, her about it? And I mean, I don't want to get, follow up on this. I don't want to get too, too much into that. But the reason why I brought it up is because that was just a perfect example of failure that I absolutely learned from. Right. Learning that. And when it comes to dating too, it's like that whole thing about like walking on the outside of the street. I was so that, just about to bring that up. So that a, yeah. you know, a fictitious car doesn't come up <laughs> and somehow only take me out and not her. Right. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like I had to learn that too. So, you know, going through those motions, I, I've learned, I think that the moral of the, those stories is I learned a lot from those mistakes because it allowed me to really introspect and think really critically about my behavior and how I show up as a man. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. You know what I really like about this though, is that you consider this a failure, but most of the time failure and initiates like a feeling of fear in people. And Mm. then that fear of failing is why they don't continue to try again. But this didn't initiate fear in you. I mean, you still went out to date another girl and you know, take them out to a nightclub, which you don't normally enjoy and, you know, do these, do these things. So good for you. Yeah. You know, and you're absolutely right. And I think that was the spiritual underpinning behind it is that like, I expect to, in some, uh, to some extent, Mm -hmm. because I always want to know that if there's something that I'm falling short on, that there will be a situation that source puts in front of me that shows me that I need to pay attention to that. Yeah. And he absolutely did that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it could be an admixture of a lot of the trauma and tragedy I experienced, uh, as a child, mm-hmm. nothing is as bad as that. Yeah. So I can sort of take this in stride with it. You know what I mean? But you're absolutely right because those situations, I look at them as learning opportunities. Oh, hundred percent. I remember the first time I lost my keys and was totally locked out of everything out of my apartment, out of my car, like the whole nine and ended up having to sleep in my car, even though I couldn't turn it on because I couldn't lock it because my keys were gone too. <laughs> so, I mean, I've, I've totally been there and that was definitely a, a low point, but yeah. I do have, I do have a fun failure story. Yeah. It doesn't, um, it involves me, but it wasn't me. And it's also about a date. So we're, I guess this failure segment oh, is going to so turn I, into I two dating one. stories. I shared one. So now you got to share yours. So this is a pretty good one. So I went out on a date with a guy and super nice guy, a little bit older than I would normally go out with. So we, so he takes me to a super fancy dinner. We had a really nice time, great conversation, had some wine, like it was wonderful, right? And I'm like, oh yeah, this was such a nice date. So we are driving and we're going to a bar from the restaurant um, to hang out a little bit longer. And this sweet, innocent little baby kitten runs out into the middle of the road. And when I say little baby kitten, I mean like maybe six or eight weeks old. Like you just came into the world. Like, yeah. And like it's still shaken. Right. And ran across the street and he ran over it. Your date did? Yes. Not on purpose. I mean, this, that, that is an automatic foul. Though. This little sweet baby angel kitten, like literally came out of nowhere and it was a black cat too. Oh my so, gosh. and I'm, I'm very superstitious. You know me. Yeah. And I have a black cat. Yeah. Oh, Binksy. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. So he runs over the kitten and I lose my shit. Oh, of course. And I'm like, oh my God, we have to turn around. We have to take it to the vet. This is no. And he was like, I'll turn around. I don't want you to look though. So he turned around and he went by real slow and he opened his door and he looked and he goes, no, we won't be taking this kitten to the vet. Like it was mm-hmm. a bad situation. So yeah, poor guy, like wonderful person. We had this great, amazing date. Suck the chemistry right out of the room, right? I mean, suck the air right out of the room. <laughs> I'm crying. And right. like we didn't end a date where you run over a kitten yeah. and your date starts crying. Yeah. I mean, it was a that, hot mess. That so. is that is one of those sort of like um, uh, fierce grace, divine intervention sort of things, because it isn't like he fouled out by being a jerk. No, it was like the universe perfectly positioned him in this space to where it was like, you know, no, no, it was like, no, no. Yeah. I mean, and, and you both could have been saving each other from 
a toxic relationship. A hundred percent. You know what I'm saying? So we went on to be friends and yeah. I've been friends with him for probably 15, 20 years now. Yeah. But it's like, how do you handle a situation like that? Because that's that, yeah. that, that I've heard a lot of dating stories, but nothing quite like that before. Yeah. I mean, I, if I were a guy, I couldn't imagine myself, uh, coming out of that situation ahead. I mean, cause that's, it's, it's, there's no winning in not that even, situation. Not even for just you, for him. It's like when he thinks of the first time you guys actually connected, he's yeah. got to think of the fact that he did this. Ran over a, a baby black kitten. Yeah. And that, Horrible. if you're a superstitious person and you like to leave your purse on the floor, like, I mean, that yeah. has some substantial implications to it, <laughs> really you know? So it, when you, next time you talk to him, I'd ask him how his luck's doing. Yeah. Just to see kind of where he's at in life. Oh, for sure. We should have him on because he's a, he's a really interesting person. Oh, now he is. Yeah. 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 Oh no, he was then too, but he's a really yeah. interesting guy. Um, which is why I was, I was interested in him in the first place. Right. 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 Um, but yeah, no. Yeah. It's an interesting killer. story. But you, one thing that you brought up that really rang true for me is this sort of voice that people hear in their minds when they experience uh, failure. Right. Mm -hmm. So obviously I think in our last episode or a few episodes back, we talked about fear and it's so conditioned in how we live and how we think. Mm -hmm. And it's so hardwired into our subconscious that, uh, we can go on autopilot and feel uh, the physiological functions of the fear and without actually really thinking about where it's coming from. Mm -hmm. And that happens for lots of people, including myself, you know. And uh, one thing I wanted to bring up was uh, when I was younger, you know, I, I've always been, I had an affinity to music as a mm -hmm. musician. And I've always had a knack for things like playing the guitar and singing. So it was never really an issue for me, but I came across a lot of people on my path that were aspiring to be musicians, aspiring to be artists. And, you know, uh, one common sort of dialogue that you hear in that sort of space is people not feeling worthy enough to do it. Right. I mean, there's a lot of practice involved. I think I read somewhere that you needed at least 10 to 20,000 hours of anything in order to perfect it, like in order to be, you know, proficient in mm -hmm. whatever craft that that is. And I think that's definitely true, but it's a story that you often hear. And I th thought to myself like, well, why is it that people listen to that with such intensity and in, in, in such a way that they do? Mm -hmm. And what sort of dialogue goes through their mind when they affirm that to themselves? And a couple of people that I've spoke to had either parents that weren't supportive of their dreams, mm -hmm. maybe um, a mother or a father that wanted them to be a doctor instead of a musician, or maybe there was a, a fellow musician that was at somehow at odds with this person and looked at it more like a competition. Basically, mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say is a lot of the people that I've met that go through that dialogue of, I can't do this, is because somebody told them that. And the person that told them that somebody said the same thing to them too. Right. So it becomes this reverberation of negativity where somebody's, you know, sense of self-worth or not feeling good enough mm -hmm. is being externalized to somebody else out of either regret or, um, you know, it could be just in spite or it could just be resentment. It seems natural for a lot of people that if they can't do something, they don't want somebody else to do it either. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you have to push through that. You have to push through that sort of like the, that ego's dialogue because it's so hardwired, I think, in our culture, even in like Western society, whenever we think of taking on a really substantial task, mm -hmm. that's the first voice that comes in. Who are you to 
to think that you can do this? Right. Who are mm-hmm. you to think that you can change the world? Right. And so we have our, our, a lot of our conditioning and our influence comes from media. What we identify as changing the world is the things that we see on TV. Well, making a movement, a revolution, mm-hmm. some sort of impact to where you are, you are influencing thousands and hundreds and millions of people. If you can't do that, somehow in your mind, that isn't enough. Like yeah. you're not going to make it happen. And I've, all my life have been um, the type of person that's like, you know, as long as you're changing one person, you're changing the entire universe. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, that's why we started this podcast. Yeah. It's yeah. not to, you know, I mean, if we helped one person, it was all worth it, right? Yeah, because that's the we don't we don't see how it all plays out for other people. Right, 100%. Right? I mean, I, when we get comments, I'm like, whoa, t- totally blown away. Every single time somebody says something nice about our podcast, I'm like, oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's a, it's a <laughs> really like beautiful so feeling. Yeah. Because, in, and I'm coming from the space of being somebody that has been impacted by a lot of other people's work in a positive way. Yeah. Where it's like, I may be one person, but that goodness and that love that I feel from listening to somebody else's podcast or listening to a song like Loon. Yeah. Or you know, uh, experiencing something that stays with me and that makes an impact in everybody in my space. Right. It influences my entire family, my entire circle of friends. So what do you think about like the leaders who have huge egos? Like all, well, I know we can think of a couple, right? Just off the top of our head. But part of that huge ego is what makes them so successful because they are almost like have an allergy to failure. Like failure is not even in their vocabulary. Even if they are failing, they're not hearing it. They're succeeding. Yeah. Do you know any people like that? I think it's just about finding balance with something like that because uh, the ego is really good at completing tasks. Right. It's really good at rationalizing and putting into action a thought. Mm -hmm. What it's not good is, it's not good with being a decent human being. It, it, It can't draw a distinction between really like what is intrinsically good or intrinsically bad. It only knows how to do something, right? Yeah. And I think that as far as the the, the polarization, as far as like how the, the duality works in the world that we live in, it takes an admixture and a balance of determination, but mm-hmm. also compassion at the same time. Yeah. Right? Because um, there's this quote that I read a long time ago, I forgot who it was, where it says like absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm-hmm. Whenever you have too much power, automatically it's divisive because now you are, at a certain point, you become disconnected with other people that don't have that. Right. And so you're in this playing field by yourself. Mm-hmm. And while it does seem a good thing to be extremely wealthy or, you know, have that much power, if you can't relate to other people that don't know what that's like, it's no surprise that you have all these celebrities that have tons of money, but they're not happy. Mm-hmm. You know, like Jim Carrey. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And those are perfect examples of that. People, once you, these celebrities are a perfect example because like they, they've reached the very top of what most people imagine to be success. Right. And once they've reached that, how much farther can you go? There's a certain point where you hit a wall and you can't go any farther. Mm -hmm. Right. And then at a certain point, once you hit that wall, you also realize that you are different from other people. And mm-hmm. now your lifestyle, how you live, the amount of money that you have. So that creates a sense of loneliness, mm-hmm. the sense of disconnect with your environment, because there's a whole lot of people in the world that don't know what that's like. Right. You know what I mean? 
And so I think it's just about striking a balance. Yeah. That I'd balance, that. That, that balance being cognizant of the mind working to make this happen, but also the heart monitoring to make sure that you're not hurting other people on the way there. Because I know a lot of people that are in those positions of power that have fucked over a lot of people to get there. Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I know some good people that have fucked over people to make their success and, um, and it ruined friendships, right? Like I'm no longer friends with several people who, in order to get to the top, like they wanted to be at the top so bad that they were willing to do anything to get there. Yeah. So, um, which is really sad and unfortunate because I imagine that it it is lonely at the top. Yeah. Yeah. I I think from my perspective, when it comes to success and when it comes to wanting to get ahead, it's it, to me, there's always this sort of curriculum happening backstage of what is it that I'm learning along the way Mm -hmm. that can make me a better person. Right. If my objective is just money, anybody can take the emotions out of money. I mean, lots of people do it, Mm -hmm. but once they get there and those emotions aren't there, they didn't do it in a, a wholesome sort of like compassionate way no surprise that they find themselves alone right. and lonely. 100%. You know, but in in the back of my mind, there's always this, what can I learn about myself? You know, and I think Marianne Williamson has this book called The Law of Divine Compensation, um, which is about, you know, uh, partially about how to manifest money in a more mindful, more compassionate way, mm-hmm. which is about changing our relationship to money. Because a lot of people, when they think of wealth, they think of, a lot of jackassery that's happening from they imagine maybe the 1% that has it. Mm-hmm. So people have like this negative affiliation with money. Right. But the, somebody um, asked me once and I've had this conversation. I think we've had this conversation before when it comes to things like money, mm-hmm. people always ask, especially the people that follow that sort of um, the secret and stuff like that. They want to yeah. somehow manifest more money as if somehow money has a heartbeat Right. As if money is this being all itself that has emotions and has the ability to determine who gets it and who doesn't. One thing that people miss when it comes to money is that it is moderated by people. Yeah. Right. And so if you want to manifest more abundance, if you want to manifest more money, then you have to change your relationship to people. Yeah. And you have to. Um, That's a Gary Vee teaching. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he, and he swears by that. He talks about that all the time. Yeah. And Gary, Gary Vee is amazing. Yeah. You know, and he, I learned a lot from him too, but you know, what I was trying to say is uh, w- when it comes to changing a relationship to money by changing a relationship to people, is that like you, if you want to do it in a mindful way, I, I would like to say that I have just naturally attracted abundance in my life, not even mm-hmm. trying to, but just by being a good person. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. when you're a good person to other people, and I, and I don't mean being a good person in order to get what you want from somebody. Yeah. I'm talking about if you're a good person and people believe in what you do mm-hmm. and people follow what you do and there's value to them to follow you, yeah. you won't have to ask them exactly. for the money. Yeah. They will just want to help you, right? So this sense of connectivity that you have with another person where they just naturally want to follow your lead. And that's a, I think that's also a Simon Sinek sort of thing where it's like, in the workplace when they talk about business and leadership, mm-hmm. you want to lead by example and not by authority. Yeah, absolutely. Money is just a flow of energy. So, you know, what blocks money is your negative thoughts. Yeah. So for me and 
in my own personal experience, not that I'm super wealthy, but but I'm, you're a businesswoman. I'm for a sure. businesswoman, yeah. And I've had my fair um yeah, my fair share of failures for sure, not just in relationships, but even in partnerships and business and all of those things. But a lot of my success has come from my relationships with people, just like you said. Um, every time I've been promoted, every time I've gotten a job that I wasn't really qualified for was all based on how I connected to the person that was interviewing me mm -hmm. and how likable I was and how how malleable and how teachable they thought that I was, right? So, oh, yeah. where are you yeah. going? Are you, you going somewhere? You, no, I was going <laughs> to plug in my computer because the battery's going out. Okay. Yeah, but so you're, you are a business owner. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this up because mm -hmm. you've owned businesses before. I have, yeah. And that's that's where I think where we kind of differ is that like I've always been a sound healer and I've always um, had a profession in some larger organization, but you've actually owned your own business before. Yeah, right. that's and, tough. It's, yeah, so what was failure like for that? Because I imagine once you're going through the motions of that, you experience a lot of that along the way. Yeah, F failure from that is not just from the business, right? And the business not being successful and you investing all your time, blood, sweat, and tears and energy and money into making something successful that doesn't quite work. It's not just that, it's, um, it's the feelings that bubble up inside of you, that fear, what I was talking about earlier, that fear of failure is what would make me um, think twice before I started another business, even though I already had a business that wasn't successful. I'm like, okay, what did I learn from that? Every time you have an unsuccessful business, it's a great opportunity for learning and um, to kind of take inventory of not only the things that you did wrong, but like, hey, what could I have changed? How better could I have prepared? And what can I do differently next time? If you don't play you can't win. It's kind of like the lottery. Like if you don't play the lottery, you're never going to win it. Right. So I've been really willing to invest my extra money in, um, from my corporate jobs into side hustles and other businesses, um, to see if something works. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I think that that's a better use of my money than, you know, spending it on frivolous things and nice cars and, you know, whatever I could give two shits about that. But yeah. I mean, everybody's really different and, um, they put their value it's just where your, where your value is. And, yeah. and my value is on, um, is on making a difference and doing something that I believe in. Yeah. And I think that that was one of my biggest failures in life was starting businesses to make money mm -hmm. and not to make a difference. Right, and right. as I get older, um, that, that's definitely the number one teaching and the number one lesson that I've learned. Mm -hmm. So now... I'm, I'm doing things for fun, right? Yeah. Like here we are doing this podcast and we don't make any money from this. This is a labor of love. Like this is what we do, you know? Yeah. Um, we do this for our listeners. So this right. isn't for, um, this is part of our light work and part of what we do to share positivity and improve the universe, you know? And that's, you know? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think it comes down to, and that's another component behind, I, I believe, success. Right. Which is loving what you do, mm -hmm. being passionate about what you do. Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely right. I mean, a lot of people take different doors and they have different perceptions of success. But, you know, like if you are happy at what you do, you will be successful, you know, because it doesn't seem like work at that point. 
You know, Gary Vee talks a lot about this sort of thing because Gary Vee spent over 30 years unsuccessful, Yeah, you know, and, but he kept pushing, he kept pushing. I think he started in a, a wine business and, um, he did that for a long time. Yeah. His dad's liquor store. Yeah. His dad's liquor store. Yeah. And, and put it on social media and started doing videos and, you know, all this, all this stuff and took, I mean, I, I forget the numbers, but it went from you know, whatever they were making to over a million dollars a year, which was a huge success for that business. Right. But yeah. he was a hustler long before that. I mean, buying things at thrift shops and, you know, upcycling them and selling them for more money on eBay or whatever. I mean, he was hustling for a long time. Yeah. And that's very much a part of his character. He still <laughs> yeah. does that now. He's like going and finding Pokemon cards and like really rare ones and reselling them and buying figurines, like first edition, like He-Man figurines and things like that. 100%. So he definitely has the mind of somebody that can flip something and make money doing it. Yeah. And the one thing that I respect about him is that he's a huge advocate for patience. Yeah. Right. Patience. And that's one thing that you absolutely need to have when it comes to trying to be successful at anything. Mm -hmm. And because I think a lot of our, our Western culture, everything's happening so fast because it's what we see. Like we're being bombarded with information when we're looking through the internet and, and we're, we're, we're scrolling through all of these images, like different types of imagery, imagery that um, imply that whatever it is that we subject to, these people on the other side are successful mm -hmm. and it's just happening for them. Mm -hmm. But you know, what Gary Vee talks a lot about is that you don't see the sort of that monotonous side where somebody is just on the back end, just going through the motions. And it really, really does take a whole lot of just being passionate about what you do in order to arrive at that point. And that may take five years. It may take 20 years. It may take 30 years, you know, you know, my, you know, I'm an artist and that's like my first love is art. Right. Yeah. And I wanted to do graphic design or interior design. And that's really what I wanted to do right out of high school. Well, you're good at it. You're and, good at interior design. Well, thank you. And, uh, my guidance counselor told me, um, and this was what I told her. I was like, well, you know, I feel like if I pick a career that, um, uh, that I'm going to be really happy with that I'm bound to be successful because that's, that's part of the, you know, the magic potion. Right. And she said, honey, happiness doesn't pay the bills. Yeah. And so I went into accounting and ended up with an accounting degree Right. Because of this fucking guidance counselor. <laughs> right. And then I'm working. Um, and you know where she, her energy came from. Right. right? Yeah. Said that whole trickle down effect. Somebody yeah. was, she probably had hopes and dreams just like you did. And, and her then, mother was like, hey, you got to like, you know, fly straight and uh, contribute to be a cog in the wheel. Right. A hundred percent. So here I am as a cog in the wheel, literally working at a gasket manufacturer and, um, in Texas. Oh, wow. Yeah. In the accounting department. And that it was soul crushing work, soul crushing <laughs> with neon lights everywhere. Like the, Oh, it was fucking terrible. So I would drive by the airport every day because the airport was on my drive to work and I drive by the airport and I'd look at the planes flying off. And I was like, one day I'm just going to turn into the airport and not go straight on this road into the office. I'm just never coming back. And yeah. I would think that every single day and I'd drive by the airport and I'd look at it. And sometimes I'd go sit out in my car and eat lunch in my car and look at the planes like taking off and think. You're like sitting eating your Lunchable in your car. A hundred percent. Yeah. hundred like percent. squeezing on that Capri Sun while you're looking at the sky. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> man. And uh, when I finally got to a point where I was like, I just can't take this anymore. 
And um, I had a really awesome boss at the time. Is that, when D, is that when D Snyder's song came on, We Aren't Gonna Take It? And you yeah. just like busted open the door and just like marched <laughs> into the... Like, quit. <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't quite like that, but it was pretty close. I mean, um, while I'm a little bit more of a planner, I planned a little bit better. Mm. But um, I told my boss, I was like, this can't be it. Like I, you know, this isn't it, right? And he was like, no, you can do whatever you want to do. And he was like, well, we're looking at outsourcing the accounting department to India next year. Um, so maybe that gives you a year to plan on what you want to do instead. And this was during the Arthur Anderson and Ron like crisis, whenever, you know, thousands of accountants in Houston were unemployed and taking jobs for 10 and $15 an hour because there was literally no work for accountants at that time. And here I am this like super junior person and all these Deloitte and Touche accountants are like unemployed and looking to take any job just to, you know, keep the lights on. Um, and I decided, you know, I need to pick a career that's recession proof where I'm like helping people. And that's how I ended up in nursing. Yeah. And then boom, nursing school left that job. And uh, X, Y, Z, here I am. But, you know, nursing, that is a a commendable position to be in, though, because you're helping others. And I've thought about this, too, because I... I've worked for lots of organizations over time. And that's one conversation that I have sometimes with friends that talk to me about their soul crushing work, mm-hmm. um, whether it be a nonprofit or whatever, whenever you're at like a, a computer that doesn't talk back to you, that doesn't mm-hmm. have feelings mm-hmm. and you're just, it's like this, this, this soul like sucking device that is taking all of your energy, but it is not corresponding with you with like affirmations that you're a good person, that you're a, doing a great job. And I think that's what it is. Mm-hmm. You're missing the human element in that exchange. Yeah. Is that if there was another person on the other end that was just on a regular basis telling you that what you're doing is right, you're making a difference, uh, that'd be different mm-hmm. in any situation. But a lot of these people that are behind computers and they're going through this stuff, at the at the at the very core, what I, I try and explain to them is if they're working for some sort of business, it is even indirectly helping other people, mm-hmm. right? So those gaskets are used for what? Oh, they were in the oil industry mainly. But or oil industry, okay. In cars. In, in cars, right? So people mm-hmm. drive cars. Same thing with like somebody that does administrative work for like the hospital. It's like, okay, well, that may be boring, but at the very core of that, you're part of that machine that provides support that are pe- for people that are in the hospital that need that type of care. Right. You know, so I... I maybe that's just me trying to look on the brighter side of things, but I'd like to think that if you're working for an organization, you're making an impact, even if it's a small one. Oh, 100%. And yeah, obviously chase your hopes and dreams on the side, which is what I've been doing my entire life Mm -hmm. because I was very much the same way. It's like you want to be able to support yourself because there's only, uh, you're, you're raised with this idea that you, um, you know, your dreams of being a musician or an artist are a little far-fetched because of what you see around you is not a whole lot of people that are making a living doing it. Mm -hmm. So you have to go by, imagine what your fear has you go by, which is like, you have to be a cog in the wheel and you also have to put yourself in a position that is recession proof. Mm -hmm. So there's like that balance that has to take place where, how do you strike a balance between doing something that you are passionate and, and, and completely just enthralled by and, you know, find a way to make money off of that. Right. 
you know, and I think that is, that is the art. And the way that I learned is just by putting in that sort of nine to five work and then really massaging my hopes and dreams on the side. Right. And you have to have that determination and you have to have that discipline in order to make both of those things happen. Yeah. You know. How interested are you in a list? A list? Yeah. So I've got a list from theladders.com and I thought this was pretty cool. It's four reasons why failure can lead to spectacular success. Oh, let's do it. Yeah. yeah. So um, the first one is that it produces scrappiness. Scrappiness? Oh, yeah. What is that? You, you don't know what scrappiness is? Is that like scrapping with people? No. <laughs> No, like I can see how failure like can starting from the bottom. Time. Now you're here, you know, like that. Um, I've never heard scrappiness before. You've never heard that term? No. Um, being scrappy? No. You know, like the little mouse um, and Tom and Jerry scrappy, the one that was always like, ah, oh, come here. He's like always willing to fight for, for what he believes in. The one that was always fighting with the cat? Yeah. Yes. I know yeah. who he is. Okay. Well, his name's scrappy. So that's where he gets his name from. Oh, so it's like having that courage and that determination to keep fighting. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, not letting fear, um, deter you from your, from your, um, help me out here. So it's basically just another way of saying that, that from your goal, that's what I was trying to think of. Word finding. Failure makes you a stronger person. Yes. You know what I mean? As long as you're, you're using it as an opportunity to grow, I can see how it can make you scrappy. So the example that they used was Barbara from Shark Tank. And um, she said she likes to invest in people um, who come from economically disadvantaged backgrounds um, for that reason, because their um, failure is kind of like they've had to overcome failure their, their whole life to get to the place that they're at today. Right. So, and, and I would say that I'm one of those people. Yeah. So I, when I worked, I worked at JPL NASA for about five years. And this was mm-hmm. um, when the Mars rover uh, was the MSL project is what they called it. I worked in the space assembly building. And although I wasn't an engineer, I worked in this sort of finance and accounting realm that supported a lot of the funding that the engineers um, used to buy materials for it. And I used to be able to sit in on interviews that they had with other people that they were looking for the project, mm-hmm. right? This is engineers. These are admin people, photographers. JPL covers the whole spectrum. Yeah. So I got to sit with the, at the time, the director of space and engineering while he was interviewing other people. Mm-hmm. And one interesting thing that I saw or experienced from being a part of that is how they determine who is worthy enough to be hired. Because you would think, because it's such a, you know, like a, a popular organization, I mean, and that is, that is very a, competitive. a very competitive space, but at the same time, it's like NASA. So in your mind, you have this idea, like they got to be There isn't smart, another NASA. They got to like, be as smart as astronauts, right. right? And while a lot of them are, and they excel at whatever particular craft that they're in, one thing that I learned from those is that they do not hire based off of skills. Mm-hmm. They hire based off of whether or not you're a good person whether or not you're a sociable person, because mm-hmm. I've spoke to the, the director too. He's like, anybody can do this type of work, mm-hmm. right? They've went through the curriculum of going through college and yes, you have to be a smart person. But at the end of the day, there are hundreds and thousands of people that can do that job. Right. And the one deciding factor for him, and he's somebody that does the hiring, you know, for people that build these, these machines, if they're a good person or not. 100%. 
anytime I've hired someone, it's been based off of, would I want to work with this person every day? Yeah. And it, it's a lot of the times you take a risk on somebody that it maybe doesn't have the skill set that you exactly need, but they're coachable and you can teach them. Right. You know, and that's as long the as thing, somebody, right? as, as long as someone is willing to learn, yeah. then that's really all you need. And I think that's the key: is willing to learn. Mm-hmm. Because I know what you mean when it comes to that that person from the Shark Tank. Um, drawing attention more towards people that were from that type of community. Because the one thing that I noticed from just my researching into like socioeconomic status and, and um, different sort of brackets of people is that, and this isn't all across the board. This is just from my experience. I'm not discrediting anybody that has gone to a four-year college. Yeah. Right. But the one thing that I, I heard is even um, when I would speak to this director about who he hires, you had a mixture of people that went to a four-year college and people that just have experience. Yeah. Right. And so right away from a professional standpoint, the four-year college should be an automatic win. Mm -hmm. Right. But the one thing from his experience is that they're harder to train Mm -hmm. because they're so well-versed in what they know that sometimes it becomes difficult. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, they don't have the experience. Right. Right. And then you have somebody that has been, in that field for 10 years, but they don't have a degree. And these are people that are easily trainable and more often come from, you know, these communities that are lower income that Mm -hmm. don't have the money to go to college. And they're just trying to push themselves into make their way ahead Mm -hmm. with just their intuition, their skills and their determination. And a lot of those people are the most compassionate. And a lot of those people are the most humble and from my experience, being that person, mm-hmm. I feel like the universe and source have always moved me in the direction of success because of that. Right. 100%. You know what I mean? Well, the second one is the scientist. So it teases out the scientist in you. This is more back to our list. So and I'm going to read this sentence because I thought this was super cool, the way that they worded this. So a scientific experiments are built on the simple concept Make an assumption, experiment, prove it wrong, and then continue until you can prove it and and continue until you can't prove it wrong. So you make your assumption, experiment, experiment, have it prove, proven wrong a million times until you're proving it right and you can't prove it wrong. So mm-hmm. I love that because how many times have you done that where you just like fail, 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 mm-hmm. and then you keep doing it until you can't get it wrong. Well, absolutely. Because, and that, that implies that you're learning from the failure, right? Mm -hmm. So when I was doing sound healing, when I first started, and of course, all those, those, those uh, words were going through my mind. It's like, okay, there's, there's, there's really amazing sound healers in LA. Yeah. There's a lot of really good ones. And they're really amazing. They're Mm -hmm. phenomenal. And I learned a lot from them. But in any space, even from my experience in that realm, there's also come a lot of people that are competitive in that field. You wouldn't yeah. think so, yeah. but it exists. Yeah. You know, competition is everywhere. It, it, it's everywhere. And I, I've never been somebody to compete because when I originally got into it, I was like, hey, we can all be a part of this family of mm-hmm. sound healers. And I mean, it, it, it's hard for me to say it, but it's not like that. Right. You know what I mean? Like there is this sense of unity when it comes to, I guess, the, the collective work that's involved. But um, it does have this sort of tinge of like, this is my territory and that's your territory and you don't walk past the line. Right. And I never understood that. Right. And I had to come to terms with that really, really quickly when I lived in Los Angeles. Anyway, mm-hmm. so when I decided that I wanted to do sound bass, I did my first one, Chinatown. I remember it. 
Um, I like that very spot. Vividly. That spot that I went to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You cool went spot. to that one, yeah. and that was during. Those were during. Uh, I was doing it for a while at that point, but when I started way back when, I did a sound bath, and I all my hopes and and aspirations were were riding on that actually working. First one I did, nobody showed up. Like oh. zero people. No. Came. I was walking in this this uh, studio in Chinatown just happened to be on like a a second story and it wasn't an elevator. So I just, I remember carrying my bowls upstairs, my gongs upstairs, setting everything up, you know, coming directly from work to this space in order to make this happen. And I'm sitting there behind my bowls waiting for people to show up and nobody comes. Oh no. That place is really hard to find though. Yeah. I mean, really hard to find. Right. And you got to start somewhere, right? Right. So I, that, those, that's kind of like a perfect example of what you're saying is that you go through making all the mistakes before you get a hang for what is right. Exactly. So that whole dialogue went through my mind of like, oh, am I really cut out to do this? Like, is this something that I should really be doing? And, uh, I did another class after that one person showed up. And so there's this other feeling of like, that go, I think a go, this goes through a lot of people's mind, which is well, you're only making a difference if 50 people show up to your class. Right. But when one person comes up, you still feel that sense of embarrassment in some way. Yeah. Because you're you're going through this dialogue of your mind of like, what does this person think about me? Right. He's the only one in this class. Yeah. So in your mind, you're like, this person's not going to come back. Yeah. Right. And so you're going through this whole orchestrated sound bath for one person. And you have to really check yourself in situations like that. You really have to remember that you are doing light work, yeah, right? That you are making an impact and you are essentially doing the work to heal whatever reason this person came in. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that sound bath, that person was extremely appreciative, um, very thankful and grateful. Mm-hmm. But even after that sound bath, I was like, oh, should I still be doing this? I kept pushing forward. Yeah. And... A week later, it went from 10 people to 20 people to 30 people to 50 people. And you build momentum. Right. And once you feel that receptivity from other people, you you ride with that. Mm-hmm. But I definitely didn't get to that place before I made tons of mistakes when it came to self-promotion, advertising, to, you know, connecting with more people in the community by more or less, I think the most important part is just believing in myself. Yeah. And one thing that I realized along the way and going through that is that it is very much up to me, but especially in light work, there is a different type of force that is moving through that experience with you that isn't just there to pack your class. It's there to help you learn about yourself along the way. Right. And that is probably one of the most uh, beautiful things about my journey in sound healing is that I learned so much about myself that I wouldn't have learned had I not gone through the process of making that happen. hundred percent. Yeah. 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 But scientists, they're not afraid to be wrong on their way to being right. Yeah. So the third, the third one is uh, demands reflection, which is, you've already touched on this, um, is you can't be successful all of the time. If you're successful all the time, you're not pushing your own limits. And you certainly don't learn from it. And you don't learn from it. You don't learn anything from it. Just like, you know, I wasn't raised um, with money. I was raised in, you know, a lower, lower, low class to lower middle class family. Right. And um, we didn't get anything for free. That's so, why you're so humble. Mm, maybe. I don't know. I think so. Um, 
but nothing was free and we had to work for every single thing that we had, you know? And I think about people that I went to school with that got BMWs and Mercedes as their first car Mm -hmm. and how they just didn't give a shit. Yeah. And they're at high school parties, getting drunk, puking in it, like, oh, whatever, you know, bumping into shit. I mean, if, and I say this as an adult, my adult self, but I'm sure my high school self, if I was just given everything like that, I wouldn't appreciate it either. That's true. So That's true. And you have to, I think for me, I have to remember that my sort of like metaphysical axiom for this whole thing is that I chose this type of life. Right. And as I get older, now I'm in, now I'm 36, I understand why I would have chosen that. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yeah. there's this ultimate place of, it's like, um, you hear a lot about in uh, a lot of these esoteric sort of teachings and stories uh, about how people select or choose to be reincarnated on earth. The ones that decide to be born blind, Mm -hmm. the ones that decide to be born deaf. Yeah. Some sort of what we consider a handicap. These are the people that are on this accelerated, accelerated, hyper accelerated learning course. Yeah. And they are the most celebrated people in the universe for taking on a position that is unbelievably difficult to move through. 100%. You know? Yeah. So I think it's the, on the spectrum being, uh, deciding to be incarnated as somebody that either grows up poor or, or, or grows up a, a, on a, a different playing field than all these people that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I think there's a reason why you're sitting in this chair right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because you could, have five cars and be a millionaire and do all those things. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. But I feel like you, the type of person that you are, you would want something deeper. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, that leads us into number four and it's generates a can do attitude. And I think that this is interesting because I think attitudes are sometimes innate. I think sometimes you're born with, certain qualities and sometimes you're not sometimes you really have to work at harnessing those abilities so there's um there's uh, another southern saying we're full of southern sayings tonight but um what's uh, a positive southern saying well this is i it's this isn't a negative one this is a thought-provoking one so it says you're either born an oak or you're born a willow Oh, I like that. Yeah. Explain what that means. Yeah. So, and you're an oak tree that's like strong. Yeah. Strong and has, you know, good roots and mm-hmm. healthy and beautiful and willows are um, more fragile and kind of have the, those shy type features. They get thrown around all over the place by yeah, the wind. Yeah. And whipped around by the wind. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So you're, you're born an oak or you're born a willow. Mm, and I, I'd um, want to be born an oak with willows growing out of it. <laughs> <laughs> You want to be both. Yeah. That's my Libra son speaking. Yeah, totally. You're such a Libra. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I, it's interesting whenever, and I see this a lot with families, right? Where you see families who have children that are really close in age that are really, really different. Mm. Like uh, you have one that's an overachiever and really clean and, you know, great at school. Oh, yeah. And then- It's like the one that gives you noogies on Christmas Eve. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then the other kid 
Is that, that what's up, Squirt? Is a is a heroin addict, and you know, in and out of uh, doesn't go to school, and in and out of trouble all the time. Yeah. And it's like, how did this happen? These kids were raised by the same parents at the same time, so it can't be a hundred percent environment, right? Yeah. Like some of these traits you're just born with, right? And you have to overcome those traits, and and sometimes it's past lives. I mean, you know, there's there's a million reasons why you're born with these certain qualities. That's true. You know, is it to teach your parents something? Is is it something that you needed to learn, you know, yeah. that you didn't learn in a past life? I don't know. Yeah, but, that whole um, wheel of learning is, is, is so intertwined with so many different things. Mm-hmm. It's like when um, Luke was, when he was on a, a few podcasts ago and he was talking about, you know, Um, understanding his mother through like her art, Mm -hmm. we kind of like sat and waxed poetic about exactly what that means because it seems like such a beautiful process that there's some sort of like intrinsic, like source energy running through that. Right. Which is, you know, it's unfortunate, of course, that his mother passed away, but the fact that it's possible, very possible that she chose that route for herself because one, maybe that was all the work she needed to do. But on the opposite side of that, it allowed him to look deeper into who he is as a person right. because of that. Yeah. You know, so I think that's a perfect example of like how everything is connected. Like I, you know, my, my father was a, a drug addict. And the one thing that I will say is that, you know, uh, drug addicts, they, and, and maybe I'm making a generalization, but just based off of my experience, a lot of them for, are really intelligent, very uh, humble and smart and great people. Mm-hmm. One can also say that they're just very hypersensitive to their environment. Like yeah. they don't know how to deal with the intensity of the world. So they find ways of coping with it. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. I, I have found that it's always, um, every drug addict that I know my, you know, my mom included, right. We both come from a background of that is um, there's some pain deep down that they just don't know how to deal with, that they just don't have coping mechanisms to overcome. And um, that was very much her problem. Um, But I see that as like a pretty common thread and a pretty common theme in in addicts. I agree. And that was one thing, my, my father was the same way. And his justification for that was like, my father didn't teach me this. Like mm. I, it was sort of like it went down on the tree. It's like, right. I, I'm doing this because this is what my father did, which just happened to also be toxic at the same time. Right. So it just shows you how like your environment, your influence from, you know, people like family members that we put a lot of trust in, they, they could rub you the wrong way and they could like influence you in negative ways. Yeah. But at the same time, they can be the greatest catalyst for change. Yeah. You know 100%. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, number four, you know, says generating a can do attitude, which we kind of like derailed from that. But, um, you know, anytime you overcome failure, it does give you that like, okay, I can do this. Like I was able to overcome this. Let's learn from this. What did I do wrong? Let's try it again. So we have a better outcome. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that was kind of the point of this one, but, uh, it's, it's pretty funny because he has a sentence in here. It says, um, the middle of a crisis is not the time to learn how to handle life's challenges and overcome failure. So if you happen to be in the middle of a crisis, maybe that's not the time 
that's not the time for you to start your reflection. <laughs> you know, kind of process all the emotions first. Like don't, don't, um, we talk about spiritual bypassing a lot, but don't um, emotionally bypass either. Right. You know, feel all the feels right. and then do your evaluation at the end. I think you're right. And I think heartbreak and breakups are a really perfect example of people wanting to do too much too soon because right. that's the first thing that happens when you break up when somebody breaks up with you or you break up with somebody is a process of of mourning and disconnect from that person and right away you want to move through all of the difficult things so you don't have to feel it anymore so yeah. there's a sense of urgency and intensity like i need to sort this out because i can't feel this way anymore right i think that's what you're talking about 100 because yeah. that sort of perturbs energy inside of your body and all of a sudden your body's involved and now your body's going through stress. And so it becomes this battleground on your body mm -hmm. that you really don't need to go through. And at the end of the core, it's self-perpetuated. So I think what you're you're talking about is allow those feelings to move through you. Right. Like uh, don't over-rationalize them. I'll, uh, allow them to just flow through you and deal with them as they come. Yeah. And I've talked to a lot of people in the past that have, have gone through depression and there's this sense of weakness and this sort of defeatist mentality that they have. Like when you feel depression and I know what it's like, you just feel like you're always going to be this way. Mm -hmm. And so they're at, a, they're, they're at odds with their own mind of how to move through it. And the one thing that always comes across my mind when somebody talks to me about depression is that it takes an enormous amount of passion to fully embody depression. Right. Right. Like you don't have, you don't have people that are just partially depressed moving about the planet. You don't have people that are like kind of depressed and then they're kind of happy. It's almost like the people that choose to be depressed, they are just fully encapsulated by that feeling. hundred percent. And so mm -hmm. the way that I see it is that that shows that you are a passionate person that shows that you are a powerful person because you're putting all of your energy into playing this part. Right. The only thing that you need to do is change the perception and use that passion and redirect it somewhere else. Right. And that is just a toy, a choice. Yeah. And not a lot of people even realize that they have until they do it. Right. You know, it's like Marion Williamson has this quote that says that our fear is not that we're inadequate. Our fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It isn't our darkness that most frightens us. It's our light. Yeah. Right. And that shows you a couple things. One is that most people are comfortable with being stagnant, they're comfortable in these places of despair mm -hmm. because they never have to move forward. Right. And it, once you wake up, especially on the spiritual journey, once you wake up to enlightenment and you wake up to that divinity within, you realize that you have the power and that you're on the driver's seat. And that sh that scares the shit out of a lot of people. Yeah. Because then that means you have to change. Right. Because it is up to you. Mm -hmm. And there are some people that are up for the challenge and it's not always an easy one, but if you realize that you, you know, you are the, the, the cause and the effect of your own life and you go through the motions of really really waking up to that, then you can point yourself in, you know, a direction that is more conducive to that divinity inside. You 100%. know what I mean? Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Well, this has been fun. This was- an, Is that the whole list? Yeah, that was the whole list. It was just four things, um, four oh. things how to- uh, four reasons why failure can lead to spectacular success. Yeah. Um, I think those are pretty good tips. I like that. So it's one thing that one. you learned from failure. Oh my God. One thing, there's so many things. Um, I, I would say the, um, 
as far as businesses, like, you know, like I said before, um, and all of my business ventures, not doing something that I was passionate about and doing something for the wrong reasons, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that is a recipe for failure almost a hundred percent of the time. You know, you have to do something that you really love because businesses are like, a marriage, like you are married to your partners, you're married to the business. And if it's not something that you have passion for, it's really hard to keep that relationship going. Yeah. You know, so, um, you have to keep that in mind. You really, it's the, the level of commitment that's involved whenever you're starting a business, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think people really underestimate that, but as, as far as, um, life successes, like outside of in a monetary way, I measure success on how happy I am. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, what do you, what, what do you, what did you learn spiritually from your failures? Um, that my major block is just like we've talked about tonight um, has always been fear and it's always been the fear of failing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that fear has always held me back. And that fear has held me, fear has held me back from a lot of things. You know, um, just like when we were talking about, you know, the spiritual activity in my house and, you know, we had, we had um, Tyler on and she was like, oh, you're supposed to be a medium. And yeah. I was so afraid of the spiritual activity in my house that I was blocking whatever, whatever um, communication that these spirits were trying to give to me right. um, because I was afraid. Mm-hmm. And the second that I relinquished that fear and I was like, oh, I get it. They're just trying to talk to me. Like I, right. you know, why was I so afraid? Why was I in my mind thinking like, oh, it's some negative, evil, demonic force. Like, why did I have to go there? I didn't need to go there. Yeah, it was you just know? your mind. But yeah. And so that is another, an additional example of, of failure and how I'm like, oh man, you know, yeah, I messed that up. Like, and it's, and it's all comes from a place of fear. So that's definitely something in my, um, my 2020 and 2021 goals is to work on, um, a work on my level of fear and tempering fear in all situations. You've jumped out of planes and you have what were 2000 hours of, of, uh, jump time parachuting out of planes? I mean, yeah, between base jumping and, and skydiving and yeah. That's some scary shit. So the fact that you can overcome no. that, that's more of like the physical fear, but you're talking about like the emotional the fear. The emotional fear. Yeah. I don't have a lot of physical fears. Yeah. That's what's really, and probably what made me, um, a good nurse is that I was never really a, afraid of death or dying or anything like in the physical realm, but anything that's emotional is very uncomfortable for me. Yeah. I'm not, um, cause I'm an Aquarius. Like we, we're not heart centered people. We're mind centered mm. people. Yeah. So, you know, um, yeah. I feel like I control every, I can control everything with my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not true. Um, yeah. it's not a, it's not a you're faucet. A, you're a big you, softy. Yeah. You, you can't turn, you can't turn it off, you know? And that's how I see it. Like this whole venture with the spirits in your home, it's like, you're going through the process, just like you said, um, a little while ago, but there's a part of me that feels like you, there's just, you awaken to this constant ever present reservoir of just like love that we have inside. Mm-hmm. And I think it is love that sees that situation for what it is. And it's definitely not a negative one. Right. So I feel like that is the perspective that I imagine that you take with that. So I just see it as from the spiritual perspective, you're just, your heart is opening. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. And it's hard. um, It's hard whenever you ask me questions like that. Uh, (laughs) When you're like, well, how do you think this changed you spiritually? I'm like, oh shit. (laughs) 
I haven't really thought about it. I'm going to make sure um, to ask you at least four of those types of questions. Thought provoking. Yeah. Thought provoking questions. So I can listen to this podcast later and be like, shit, why didn't I say that? Oh yeah. You know, which is always what happens. Yeah. That's that's just kind of how how it goes. Yeah. You know what I mean? I would say one of the ways, well, actually some of the ways that I learned, I mean, because I've made a lot of, I, I failed a lot. Right. And there's something that I heard a couple of years back, which is, you know, like in order to be successful, you have to be not, you have to not be afraid to fail mm-hmm. because on the other side of the failure is an understanding mm-hmm. and the understanding is going to get you through to where you need to go. And I think it's so important to do what you love because doing what you love, no matter what your craft happens to be, doing your, doing what you love implies a certain level of trust in the universe to guide you to where you need to be. Mm-hmm. Because there's this part of me that feels that people that decide not to do what they love and just decide to just take on a position doing whatever shows almost like this lack of trust for the universe, universe's role in your life Mm -hmm. to provide. And you will do, because that obviously is a fear response, Yeah. right? You're afraid you're not going to get ahead. So you have to succumb to, you know, being a cog in the wheel. Right. But the one thing just from my experience, because I'm one of these people that I will not do anything that I'm not in love with. Mm -hmm. I won't do anything that I'm not passionate about. And of course it takes some time to develop trust because your spiritual journey is intertwined into that. But if you are patient and you love what you do, it won't even be a question of how, of, of when you're going to get there. Somehow the universe opens up and creates this sort of, really clear indication that you're doing the right thing because your relationships improve with other people. Mm -hmm. The people in your life want to support you. The people in your life believe in you and you become sort of like this beacon of light for people that don't know what that's like yet. Mm -hmm. And it's so inspiring. And there's this quote and I'll end it with this. Actually, I read it the other day, which is that you have to be so um, unbelievably free in your heart and in your spirit, that your very existence is an act of rebellion, mm-hmm. right? And that very act of rebellion is doing what you love and mm-hmm. doing what you're passionate about because that is the ultimate light work and the universe will take care of you. That's you know, so true. That's so true. Take care of you. That's a, a Joe Dispenza teaching too. He, um, and you said we were going to end it with that, but I'm just gonna I don't know, <laughs> add going to add one more thing. I'm going to write this out. Um, is, uh, that's one of his teachings is, to when you're sitting down and you're writing, writing out what you want the universe to provide for you as far as a career is concerned, to don't worry, don't worry about how you're going to get there and what you need to do to get to that point. Just do it and the universe will provide. And you don't even have to try. The universe will just start delivering the right people in your life to put it in motion as, as long as you're vibrating on that level. Right. Um, so yeah, and that's, that's, that's Marion Williamson's law of divine compensation, which is that what I was talking about earlier, changing your relationship to money by realizing that people are at the forefront of that, mm-hmm. which is just be a good person and do what you love. Yeah. And then people will see that and they'll want to help you. Yeah. They want to be a part of your dream. You yeah. know what I mean? So true. And you just have to, you have to embody that because I, I think that the universe is inherently good and it's inherently playful and it is inherently creative. I mean, all of this is just creativity. We're surrounded by various different types of creativity. Yeah. And I feel like everybody in life is assigned with a very specific type of work and everybody, you don't even have to be the greatest musician because there are tons of people that are like, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that. 
just do something because it makes you happy and just be patient. Yeah. There, you know, Steve Jobs, like people, whatever you identify as as success, Mm -hmm. these people were passionate, so unbelievably passionate about what it is that they do. And they believed in it so much that nothing, absolutely nothing can stop them from getting and chasing their dreams. And that's where you got to be. Scrappiness. And that doesn't come from, um, you know, this willingness to want to go ahead. This is just comes from just being happy and, and loving what you do. Right. And being, being scrappy. And being scrappy. And, and, and not, not getting into the kerfuffle. And not running over sweet baby black kittens. Yeah, don't, don't on do dates. that. Not on, especially not on first dates. Not on any date. Not on any date. You know what just I'm saying? Just don't do it. Yeah, don't, Stay away from that. Yeah, don't, don't do it. Um, don't succumb to the cattywampus-like behavior of people that <laughs> do that type of shit. And, and, and buy one of those little brackets for your keys. You can strap it on your belt loop. Oh, so that, so that it doesn't fall off. Yeah, that's what I did. That's smart. one of the things that I learned. I mean, were chain wallets still a thing or no? No, no, no. Chain oh, wallets. Okay. Were, they had I, I wouldn't even gone past first base if I had a chain wallet. <laughs> I think in the Midwest, <laughs> chain wallets are a thing. Yeah. But in Southern California, it may be coming back. There's a lot of 90s stuff that's that's been coming back lately. I know. The Skechers oh. and the big chunky shoes and stuff like that. Man, and the 90s was gnarly. Well, as, there sty- some, as far as style was concerned. But not music though. Not music. There's no, the music, music was great. No, but the style, it's like, ugh. Yeah. Let's bring something else back. What do you think we should bring back? Mm, not the fucking 90s. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I feel like- Or the 2000s. I, think, I feel like the reason Ooh. there's a recursion of the 90s is because uh, it represented, if anything, a more free time. Yeah. That's true. You know, there was a more, there was a, I, the, it's funny, the, a little while ago, I left my- um, YouTube up and you know, when you, you, when you leave YouTube up on like a Chromecast, it will start playing just random videos. Mm-hmm. And I had just gone on YouTube, um, wanting to listen to a specific 90s song and it was on this playlist. And then all of a sudden Backstreet Boys are in sync just suddenly came on and I watched this video and these were videos that, you know, when they were played on a loop during TRL in the nineties yeah. oh, and like TRL, yeah. they were in the top five or top 10 and people absolutely loved it. But I see it now and I'm like, what? I can't even imagine people liking that now. Yeah. I know. You know? Oh, yeah. Like boy bands, that whole thing. Oh, it yeah. was pretty crazy. It's crazy how we evolve. Did you, you ever know? watch Singled Out? A long time ago. That was with, with the Jenny, Jenny McCarthy, McCarthy, right? Yeah. yeah and she no. was always yelling. <laughs> she was always yelling? She was always yelling in that show. <laughs> really? I find, that I, I find that I don't like shows where people yell. Like, that's why I can't watch The View, because they're always yelling at each other. That's true. But and The View, I think, is supposed to have that sort of like Southern vibe to it. Yeah, where you have like a little a sewing circle of like, um, like older women that are just like complaining about like complaining and yelling at each other in life. No can do, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyways, to end this out on a good note, keep following your dreams, right? Yeah. Follow your dreams. Yeah. Follow your dreams and only good things can happen from that. That's right. You know, we're following, we, we continue to follow our dreams with the podcast. Yeah. This is our dream. Yeah. Make it happen. This people. is our dream. Tell your friends. Yeah. Tell your friends. Yeah, share it with a friend. As you uh, figured out the the new intro that we had, you can find our podcast pretty much on all platforms. I don't think we even have to name them out anymore. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, if you We're do everywhere. Search, you, you, you can definitely find it. So stay tuned. We're actually going to have um, some really amazing guests up in the weeks ahead. And um, until then, yeah. Namaste, friends. Namaste. Namaste.